got all the right steps in Charleston. They now can try their slipper and see if it fits at the big ball. East Tennessee State Buccaneers, they're dancing, boys and girls. Muscara, Perea lays it up. 1.4. Perea hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucks win. Nucky spotting for three. The place is going to erupt. Oh, Deuce Bellow, he's going to make Sports Center with an incredible Jarvis Jones, the game winner got it. Ball game, East Tennessee State's going to leave on another. They got him. If he catches it, it's over. Ball game. Touchdown, Jawan Stinson. 25 yards. J.J. German for the win. He got it. J.J. German and the Bucks have shocked the Bulldogs. And the sidekick. Say hello to my little friend. What's your name, man? You're handsome, you have the perfect amount of scruff, and you still have no talent. It's Sandos in the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Good Monday, Jay Sandos, Mike Gallagher, fresh off eating a bunch of turkey and stuffings and banana puddings and whatever else. I don't know what all Mike had, but clearly a lot of things I had. And then uh, able to watch ETSU win on the road. And Little Rock, Arkansas versus Little Rock. We'll break that down for you. We'll talk a little ETSU women's hoops. And then we doing pros today? No, no. What do we got today? What's I the... figure it's the holidays. Be nice to you. We stay off that. Well, I'm fine with that. We just got know. a three-segment show today. We got oh, three-segment. Final, right. yep, then... final segment will be FCS playoff review. Yep, FCS, because uh, we didn't do bold predictions. So we'll, but we, we, did, we did give you predictions, yeah. and some were uh, some better than others. Didn't think. seem bold, but... <laughs> Look back at some did, of the scores. I, yeah, I felt like uh, there were several things I felt pretty confident about uh, didn't didn't happen. There was one or two that did, so I don't know what. Of course, you know me. I'm just going to talk about the one or two that I was confident on that did happen. And I'm going to talk about the one. ones that you weren't I'm, confident I'm sure, on that didn't sure. happen, obviously. Yeah, it happens. And there was also – I watched a lot of those games. So, there's a couple of things I want to talk about during those games because it was Please do. quite unbelievable. All right, let's uh, start on the men's side here, uh, ETSU. Uh, Road win, Little Rock. The interesting thing about Little Rock, which I was unaware of, I guess when they got the job, Daryl Walker, uh, former NBA player, former NBA coach, um, when he got the job, the first day on campus they informed him eight guys uh, were ineligible. Oh. So how do you you like that for taking a new job? Welcome. So needless to say, they won ten games last year. Uh, They brought in a bunch of new guys. They have – the odd situation where they have a Serbian player who is not eligible to play until January because he was a semi-pro in Europe. You know how they do that? There's always that sort of what benefits did he, did he not get? They mm-hmm. determined he got some extra benefits, although he didn't get paid, but there were extra benefits, even though he's in a different country and there's different rules and such. So the NCAA has uh, uh, set him out till January, and they think he's going to be the best player They've already beat Missouri State. Good game against Illinois State. The one thing I will tell you, they guard uh, well. I mean, they play hard. They play really hard. They guard well. They seem to understand what they're supposed to do on the defensive end. Talking to Coach Walker afterwards, he seemed like they just don't have enough guns offensively to match up, so they've got to keep it in the 60s to Mm -hmm. have a shot. And they did. They kept it in the 60s. They were up seven with seven, whatever, 33 to go in a game. And then a four-point play sort of turned turn the tide. It was a four-point play by Davian Williamson. Patrick Good, I think, hits his uh, first three of the game at that point. Man, I think it was the second three in that game. Hits his second three at that point. And then all of a sudden, in two trips, you make up seven points, which is obviously tough to do. And then it just started to steamroll ETSU's favor. And really good defense from the Bucks, uh, especially after they had given up a bunch of layups there uh, mid-second half, but really good defense the last couple possessions defensively to hang on to the victory. I was curious how ETSU would react. We had the same kind of thing unfold, and we talked about this on Wednesday on the podcast about how the Bucks a few times this year now have gotten up on the verge of what is double digits or double digits and kind of let a team back into it, not put their foot on the throat of the opponent and let them get back to within four or five and hovering around uh, even two against, I think it was Appalachian State, um, when their leading score got to 20 points and it was like 58 to 56 or whatever the case may have been right around that time with like uh, seven, eight minutes to go and or maybe a little bit less than that. And now this time around you have Little Rock. The difference between this game and other games is that Little Rock got over the hump, right? They took the lead and they actually extended it out to seven with seven minutes to go. And I was curious, ETSU, since they were behind the eight ball a little bit, it wasn't working from ahead. It wasn't, okay, we 
are still, you know, one possession lead or it's still, you know, five, six points. We never feel like we're under that tremendous amount of pressure because the scoreboard still reads ETSU ahead. This time they didn't have that luxury. And so it was a seven point game with seven minutes to go and you're down. After being up, I think it was, what, 31-22 to 22 at the half? Is that what I had? Uh, like an 8-9 point lead. Yeah, 31-22 yeah, at the break. And they scored the first four points in the second half, so they led by 13 quickly. So you look at that and say, this is on the way to being a complete runaway. And instead, you know, Little Rock does what a number of teams have done against ETSU, and they come back and uh, go on a run and go up by something other teams did not do, go up by seven after being down going into the second half and being even further behind once the half started. But you're right. I mean, Davian Williamson and Patrick Good, and that's the beauty of this team. As we've talked about before, it's a number of different people that can do it. And this time it was Davian Williamson. It seems like they just alternate turns. It can be a Bo Hodges. It can be a Patrick Good. It can be a Trey Boyd. This time it's Davian Williamson. You have a big three, and then Patrick Good comes down, uh, hits another uh, outside to tie the game at 56, and then Williamson another three with five minutes left, and it just seemed like there for a bit. ETS, he really uh, started to make it rain from the outside, and then Lucas Goussaint went in the paint. He had at six points. Uh, you know, he, he did foul out, so it wasn't his best outing down low, but they needed to rely ETSU on that three-point shot, and they did so at, at big times. You know, Williamson goes five for six from outside, 11 and 22 from deep, so really shooting the ball well, and really importantly, I thought, 10 of 12 from the line. 83 percent that that was really the difference of the game considering they were being outshot from the free throw line by quite a bit at uh you know when you started to look at some of the numbers and just getting line 12 times and credit the trojans right for for being more aggressive and really kind of going or, or taking it to uh etsu and really getting inside the paint cre- creating havoc doing a bunch of things to to put themselves in a better position bucks got themselves in bad position and again, didn't quite follow the scouting report uh, for, uh, a, I don't want to say majority of the time. That's probably unfair. But there was a lot of times that you could hear it even in Coach Forbes in the postgame, you know, just not doing some things that they had talked about, how they were going to try to take away Noel, the little five foot seven point guard who was unbelievable. And they were like, okay, so you just, you know, you can't leave him open. You got to try to double him at the top. You got to try to get the ball out of his hands. Got to try to. To, to do a, a bunch of things. But, you know, Little Rock goes to the line 18 times. I think ETSU just three times in the first half. And then they get it up there to uh, 12 tries and go 10 to 12. I, I think you'll take that every day. And I think that's the third straight game of 75 or better from the free throw line percentage-wise for ETSU. So you got to like that and how those numbers are starting to come around. The other thing was the Bucks shot 50% from three, just 45% from two. And there were a lot of layups. There were at least eight points off the top of my head. There was a couple breakaways in which the Bucks did not score, and it was a couple of times post players. And really, if you include a couple of the guards driving in, I think Davian Williamson had a couple of balls that just kind of rattled and popped out. It just just seemed like Bucks weren't getting some friendly rolls. And they're on the road, so you could see that. But it just seemed like they were getting good looks. They're in the paint. We've talked about that before. Uh, maybe more on the broadcast than, than on the podcast, but when you see ETSU points in a paint, if if they can get those numbers, it's really not points in a paint, it's percentages, right? When the UT Martin, when I'm always going to go back to, because I don't know that the, the Bucks will do any better, is 21 to 24. I mean, just phenomenal, 90-some percent, whatever it was, 92% or something crazy. So if you get to, to, to that, and I don't think if the 92%, but if you can get to the 80 or better, from that range, it seems like ETSU as well. The problem is they seem to be hovering around 50% from that range. And I think that's a range you've got to be 75, 80, 85%, especially if you're going to win tight ball games because that's really where the points are. People can always point to free throws, can point to some three-point numbers here and there. But if you just made five two-footers, that's 10 extra points, that's where the games are won and lost. Third time in the last four games, ETSU has been 75% or better at the line. There was that Appalachian State game that was mixed in where they went 61%, but a season high 83% at the line. If you're not hitting from inside, at least it's nice to get your points at the line when you're uncontested. Here is Coach Forbes postgame. I know Davian's a good shooter, man. I, you know, I don't expect to make four-point plays, but but he he's a really good shooter, and he has not been shooting it great, and he knows it. He, I think that was a big-time shot, and then Pat seems to be a – a money player, man. When the game's on the line, he makes big shots. And, and that was we told when he was coming down the side, he was standing right by us. We said, "Burn it," and he burned it and made it. And um, and those were big plays, and that takes momentum away from them. To coach's point about Davian Williams and not necessarily shooting the ball while well going into the game was eight 
of 26 from outside before going five for six in that contest Saturday, now shooting 40% from outside. And Patrick Good, a team best, 23 is tied with Trey Boyd, 20 of 53, 38%. He was just talking about the exchange there postgame when Williamson and Good really got hot. Yeah, and I, I, th- that was really a difference when Williamson was able to go. He's five of six from three. And I'll say this, the sixth one got me out of my chair a little bit. Now, I could do that because I was 17 rows up in a concourse level, and I sent you a photo. Didn't look like to me. Me and all my friends, yeah. right? Yeah, I had, a, I had 16 chairs for just me. So, me and uh, my 15 best friends apparently were up there. But because I was up there, I actually, almost like a football game sometimes, I actually stood more than I, I sat down. Uh just because I really could, and some was trying to help with some angles. But uh, when he – I was sitting down when Davian pump faked, side dribbled left, and it rattled. And, boy, I thought that was going to be sort of the dagger that kind of got the thing going. But it, it popped out, and they're able to go. And, you know, you don't expect, I think, five of six from three from Williamson. But I think you can expect the fact that we see how talented of a scorer he is. And to me, the fact that he's added more of a deep threat you know, I know he had a, you know, it was like 25 threes or something last year. He's going to way, uh, I think, smash that from what he did his freshman season. But 27. I 27, so that was close. So, I think he's going to clearly get past that, maybe even get close. I don't know if he'll double it, but he'll, he'll have 40 or more threes, I think. And, and the fact that he was able to drive and get to the rim, he's a good free throw shooter. So, you add sort of the – then if he ever gets a mid-range game, and, and he's got a little floater he does, but that's still, I think, to me, that's right around the rim. It's five, six feet away. But if he can get to where that 12, 15-foot jumper, like Trey Boyd has sort of developed, then you get the three levels plus the free throws. I mean, he he could be one of the more unstoppable forces moving forward. Again, I think there's so many scores, and that's the great thing, right? He, he's been a leading scorer before, but you've got five guys that have already – you know, sort of top the charts. There's still other guys like Tisdale had a great start to the game. He's a guy that can throw a lot of points on the board that hadn't let him yet. Rodriguez seems to still be favoring that foot. He got off to a great start, and then you mentioned the foul trouble. But there's a lot of guys that could still score. But I think when you look at him, his junior year, and my goodness, his senior year, what type of player? I mean, he's got the potential to be a player of the year type caliber guy in our league yeah we mentioned the run from six minutes down to five minutes where Williamson had the four-point play then Patrick with the next possession hits the three then Williamson just bludgeoning Arkansas Little Rock from the outside in that from the outside in that stretch but really the biggest shot of the day was Patrick Good as coach mentioned 222 to go the shot that ultimately gave ETSU the lead for good, making it 64-61 to 61 after it was tied at 61 with three minutes left. Here's more from Coach Forbes. We contained him, and, and that was the plan most of the game. Now, he's a heck of a player. I don't know what. He had 20, but, you know, he's 7 out of 16. He got had to get up 16 shots. We At the end of the game, Jay, we trapped him. We, did, we, we just said this, listen, he ain't beating us, okay? He ain't making that three. Um, somebody else is. And so we trapped him. That's why he was pushed so far up on the court. Yeah, Marquise Knoll, who had 20 yeah. points, but late on they really did contain him well. Well, the the most impressive thing I thought was how the Bucks were able to keep pushing out. So those last two shots, one was from the other side of the floor. They were able to, uh, as you talk about, press up, trap, and Knoll dribbled off his, his shoe or maybe dribbled off um, uh, Goussaint at that point. And he had to go all the way to the backcourt and shoot one from across half court. That did draw iron. I'll give him credit for that. Shot clock winding down, barely drew iron. Bucks were able to to go down the floor. They were able. I don't know if they scored in that possession or not. But the very next, that was like fifty seconds to go in the game. And then getting the ball back, Bucks were able to sort of scramble, play good defense. And then he takes a shot four or five steps beyond what an NBA range three would be. He misses. Vonnie Patterson gets the rebound. Patterson with a one and one. Only a 40% free-throw shooter, able to hit the first. That makes it a four-point game, and then uh, with nine seconds to go, he missed the second, but that was enough for ETSU to hang on to the victory. Yeah, no points in the final 6.30 for Noel, and that last point that he did have was right in the midst of Davian Williamson scoring like nine points in 90 seconds. Coach Forbes and ETSU now 7-1. and one. His thoughts on eclipsing the mark that ETSU, I think, maybe even expected coming in, but also hoped they would be at. Well, it feels pretty darn good, um, and, you know, and that's kind of where – my vision of this team when coming out of the fall, you know, when practicing was that's where we needed to be. You know, and I hate to say this, but worst case scenario, does that make sense? I thought we needed to be 7-1 and one to be where we – to get where we want to go. Uh, I knew Kansas would be a tough game. I thought we went in there and competed. We couldn't pull it out. And now we've got two more road games. 
And then we get a little break for uh, finals, and uh, we'll, then we have LSU, D2 LSU, Cleveland State, uh, D2, and then back we get the gauntlet of Wofford, Furman, Greensboro to start the league. So right about a quarter of the way through the season, next game, of course, at Citadel. That is Wednesday. I believe you'll leave Tuesday for that to go down to Charleston, and so we'll have a podcast on Wednesday to talk about that. But looking at the first quarter of the season, 7-1, and one, of, course, of course, Coach Forbes and that coaching staff are going to set the expectation that you have to be 7-1 and one with only Kansas being that loss, and you're not going to say, okay, we're going to lose that game, so we're going to be 7-1. and one. You obviously keep the door open. You go in there to win, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but being 7-1, and one, while it maybe have been the expectation inside the program, I think fans can sit back and be very happy that they have actually achieved that considering – that they've gotten everybody back that they have. Guys seem to be clicking. There have been a couple of early injuries with Joe Hughley and Dromi Rodriguez from time to time, but still able to get to that 7-1 and one mark despite some close calls. And I, I think you take it every day, right? I'm sure you want to be 8-0, and oh, you know, in a win at Kansas and what that does for you, but 7-1, and one, I mean, it's, I mean, and your loss to Kansas. I don't know. I, I mean, it's hard to find anything. Could you nitpick certain games? You know, well, could have did this better, could have did that better. Maybe, but I mean, you're seven and one, yeah. And you know, you get a little stretch here where you're going to get your first conference game in is the next opponent. And then North Dakota State's interesting because they returned a lot of guys. There was a lot of high expectations, not just from the Bisons, but from the voters in their league. You know, mid-major polls, everything thought North Dakota State would would maybe only have a blemish or two on their record at this point. Then they're five and three, um, but I still think people thought. They had a shot to be seven to one. Maybe just Kansas State be the only loss on their on their uh, schedule so far this season. Now they they've had some struggles, got some good wins, but you know if the Bucks are able to get through those two, then you're talking about a, a, a tune up game. And no offense to Milligan, but a tune up game on the fifteenth against Milligan. Then your last big road game before conference play, and that's in Baton Rouge, a winnable game. I think you would agree with me against uh, the Tigers. Then back home for Cleveland State, another tune-up game, Mars Hill, before you open up league play, and then you're just going to get hit right in the face. I mean, you go body blow Wofford. It's at home. Then you get a little uh, uppercut, right, from Furman, and then an overhand right to try to knock you out with UNCG on the road. So you're looking at three solid SOCON games. Now, again, we talked about this a few years ago because ETSU, I think it was two years ago, ETSU won those games. And, boy, just the advantage of if you could win that because you don't play those teams. I think you play UNCG again on February 1st, but then you're able to, you know, those are the toughest opponents, Furman and Greensboro-Wofford, right? I think everybody agrees with that. Once you get past that, I mean, if you could knock off VMI, Sanford, Western, Chat, Mercer, you know, roll through the first part of the schedule, you know, now I don't know what type of advantage that would be. You know, can they do that? I don't know. But the schedule, I think, you get to this point once you get past North Dakota State's interesting. If you go Citadel 62 degrees, you go to Fargo at 7. I've already looked. It's going to be 7 degrees. Foot of snow there last week. That snow's still going to be there. It's not going to get above freezing all week. Only a foot. There's other places in northern Minnesota that got like 18, 20 inches. Uh, <laughs> yeah, only only a foot so far. Okay. I, uh, I don't know if it's supposed to snow any more up there. Probably. But as of yesterday, Keith Brake sent me some photos. It's uh, I'm going to talk to Keith when I'm up there, but on Thursday we get there when we land. The high will be seven. It will feel like negative one. So mm. right up your alley, I'm sure. Oh yeah. And then uh, shorts. You, know, you you get to go there. But I think once you get past Citadel, North Dakota State, you get Milligan, house money to LSU. You know, if you go there and you lose, sure. I mean, people are going to do whatever. I mean, if you got somehow didn't show up to play and got blown out, I could see it. That could be an issue. But you get out there, you play, you win a game again, house money. Uh, but that's going to help everything. If you could win that game, right? The the old quad wins and all that new fancy terms they do. And then you come home, you really get right. Cleveland State, take a little break for Christmas, see what Santa Claus leaves you. Then you go to Mars Hill. I'm sorry, you play Mars Hill at home, Wofford at Furman UNCG, and then you're kind of off and running on the Wednesday-Saturday schedule. I think you met LSU is kind of the dual-edged sword, right, where it's a winnable game for sure, but it's also, if you don't win it, it's not the end of the world by any means because it would be a really, really nice win. So there's not a lot of pressure going in there. The only two losses LSU has are by two points, one to a Utah State team that's been top 15 in the country for some of the year and then at VCU 84-82. to So winnable, yes, but if you lose it, eh, it was probably expected. You know, so I don't know if I see, though, another loss on the schedule going into conference, at the main portion of conference play at the end of the year. North Dakota State's going to be tough, but 
certainly you expect with you even heard coach Forbes when it comes to expectation he expected to be seven and one it was something that in for in order for ETSU to get where they want to go they have to be seven and one so I'm thinking coming out of non-conference in order for ETSU to get where they want to go you're probably looking at two losses at most in coach Forbes mind I mean you you you, if you end 2019 portion uh, portion of the schedule excuse me 11 and two I mean, I mean it'd be hard to, and, and you're only and if your only two losses are the Kansas and LSU, you know, and you're going okay, eh. but if they go twelve and one, I mean, which they could do. Oh, absolutely. And again, and and you know, and there's there's still, and I'm not discounting. Citadel gives ETSU fits, right? Let's be honest. Citadel for whatever reason, and there's matchups everywhere, but Citadel's always given ETSU fits. They've beaten ETSU. They've taken ETSU to overtime. They've really given ETSU fits. So. By no means should anybody, I think, overlook Citadel just because traditionally where they fall. I think, obviously, North Dakota State, you did the game last year. Uh, solid team. They returned solid. a lot of guys. They're going to be at home. We'll see how it goes. It'll be the third game in a row on the road for ETSU after a flight to Arkansas, bus ride to Charleston, flight to Fargo. You know, are you a little uh, road weary or the legs, you know, starting to wear out on you and stuff? I mean, these aren't pro guys that get to – sort of do this on charter flights with a little extra leg room and all that other stuff so just have to see but i think you know when they get past that you know then you got lsu i mean they got a great shot at at maybe a a worst case scenario being 11 and 2 you know i think that's what coach forbes if he was to give him a little true serum hair there i think that's what what he would agree with he would say coach what do you want to be at the end of this thing at worst and i think he would probably say well we we, we expect at worst to be 11 and 2 agreed all right, let's talk a little women's hoops after this time out for Sam Psychic. Go to the back of there. Sports Network. Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks, but we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Bright Ridge to match our vision, to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge, new name. Renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com. Sanders and the sidekick back with you as we take a look at ETSU women's basketball. Now they took on Davidson. They've got a couple more home games coming up. We'll talk about that in just a second. They hosted a very good Atlantic 10 team in the Wildcats of Davidson, former Southern Conference foe, and got off to a little bit of a shaky start. I think Davidson uh, 11-12 in a row to start the game. 14, and ET- yep. 14, and ETSU uh, kind of settled down. I thought the one thing that kind of been waiting for and I thought started to show it, uh, a little bit was um, uh, Elise Stafford, 16 points, I thought was solid. Shooting numbers still not there, four for nine. Six of six from the stripe, though. Uh, if you look at 20 of 26 from a line, you got to be excited about that, considering Davidson only took six free throws. So you're able to get 20 more attempts at the line, able to get 17 more uh, points at the charity stripe. I think that was an encouraging number because, again, it was early in the season. That was sort of like the men's team. That was sort of a bugaboo, right? They weren't able to hit the free ones, weren't able to get, uh, you know, really what they needed. I thought Kimbrough almost a double-double, right? You know, you know I don't want to say you want to expect that, but certainly as she gets into this uh, season, goes along and into league play, I don't see any reason why she couldn't have a chance at a double-double every night at 10-10 and 10 or something close to that. She goes for 11-9. and nine. Micah Sheets, 3 of 10 shooting. I thought the one disappointment, and, and again, uh, I was just following on live stats, so I didn't get to see some of the shot selection, but Kai Upton, 0 for 8, was able to get 6 assists, which is what I think she should do. I think she should give you some assists. 0 for 8 is a little tough, but 4 for 4 from the line. But overall, some of the key numbers, you look at the free throw shooting, getting to the line, I thought was important. 15 turnovers, honestly, is not a bad number. I know Coach, I think is it 12, she always says, 12 or under. I can't remember if she has a number. So slightly more than what she wanted, but just uh, the shooting number's not there for ETSU as far as from the floor. 
Well, and I mean, turnovers, uh, ETSU is one of the teams last year that turned the ball over most in the Southern Conference. So the fact that you're right around 15, that's like two or three below your average from last year, and that's even high considering what they've done lately. They've been averaging like 12 or 13 turnovers per game over the last three or four. So that was good to see. Career highs all over the board. At least Stafford, 16, that's a career high. Six to six from the line, excellent. She's struggled, I think, in her collegiate career on the mental side of things when it comes to shooting free throws so she was straight on with the basket last year I think I mentioned on the show before missed a lot of shots off to the left so she said why don't I just step over a couple of steps and so she's shooting from like a foot away from the right elbow now and goes six to six really good to see after she started the year at about 60 percent Kimbrough 11 points nine rebounds both career highs there at least in her time here at ETSU and Kai Opton did have a tough day from the field but six assists that tied for a career high for her so as we talk about this team and you hear career high a lot really every show that we talk about ETSU women's basketball that just illustrates how many players are getting extended minutes that haven't in the past and the chances and opportunities they're getting which are great but there's just not a lot of experience there and there's not a lot of proven commodities for the Bucks right now with Erica Haynes Overton out Micah Sheets is obviously one of those she's in double figures again for the 11th time in the last 12 games uh, Shania Jackson got in some foul trouble and that's always difficult for the Bucks to deal with simply because Jackson we saw on Monday against Appalachian State one week ago can really be the catalyst for that offense but she was only able to play 11 minutes and had those three personal fouls uh, Kimbrough a really big bright spot Stafford a really big bright spot but with Davidson you got exactly what you thought you would um, in terms of offensive options and threats Katie Turner and Sarah Donovan were preseason all-conference coming into this year they combined for 38 in the starting lineup and they shoot 15 of 21 combined from the floor so 38 points on 21 combined shots pretty impressive and then off the bench, she hasn't started yet this year, but Susie Rose Deegan is from Australia. She's a freshman. She was the player of the week, November 18th, named by the Atlantic 10, and she drops 13 points as well on 5 of 11 from the field, had a couple of blocks, three assists, and four rebounds. So she did a lot of things for the Wildcats. And it's just tough when you get up the first 14. You know, that, that's always going to be difficult because even when you play, what, minus one the rest of the way, mentally, psychologically, you've been punched in the face a little bit. And while you do come back and recover, it's still, obviously, on the scoreboard, a big hole to dig yourself out of. Yeah, and it, it did answer the bell. I think, again, you could have laid down very easily the rest of oh, the yeah. game. I, I thought offensive rebound, re, again, rebound and free throws were, were critical areas where ETSU had struggled. Again, you have to take Tennessee. The free throws, you can't. I mean, it was a big part there. Rebounding, I think you take that game out. I mean, my goodness, Tennessee rolled out 6-2 to 6-5 to pretty much the whole entire Right. Way and ETSU's not going to see it the rest of the year. I don't, I don't think Wake or Georgia Tech will roll out uh, some of the length that Tennessee did. To me, the 20 free throws was huge. 14 offensive rebounds. That led to 17 points. They forced 13 turnovers, and usually they say a point per turnover is pretty good, but they had 17 points off turnovers. Free throw shooting, second chance points, points off turnovers was 54 of your 60 points. So ETSU seemed to have a little bit of trouble of scoring offsets on the half-court game. And I think that is where, again, I've only sort of clipped a few highlights. I've not actually uh, uh, gone back and watched this yet. I, I might just to go see sort of the flow of it, just following on live stats. So I'm curious to see. But I think that's where ETSU women's basketball program still finding itself without Erica Haynes Overton, without making plays. I think Kaya Upton getting six assists is huge. I think getting her – six assists, and if she can get a few shots to drop, how much more that opens it up for everybody else. And the foul trouble, you're right. I mean, Shanae Jackson only playing 11 minutes is, is tough. And again, it's, it's an experience, tough. right? Like, you just don't have a feel for what you can and can't do in every situation yet, so you're going to pick up some of those fouls. Yeah, oh, just yeah. Just experience. I, I mean, I think just a little bit of everything, you know. But Kimbrough comes in in 24 minutes, you know, plays – Plays fairly good basketball. Three I more think. blocks, too. She's got 16 this year now. And 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 I've been waiting on this. I've been harping on it. But Harvey, a couple threes go down for her. I mean, she's a good shooter. I'm hoping that now that she's got a couple in a row to go down, that she can build off that. Because if you watch her shoot, you know, whether it's in practice or shoot around or pregame, got a nice-looking touch. And so I think if she can contribute some off the bench, being able to not – especially a couple of outside shots so you're just not relying – on pretty much Stafford and Sheets, right? You give a third option there, what that can do to open everything up. So, again, I think they're still kind of finding their own way. You know, still, I don't know if there's been a time timetable released yet for uh, Eric Haynes Overton or not. No. They're still going to be without her for a while, so they're going to have to figure it out. And they 
started to figure it out and davidson's a good basketball squads we'll see that it's not going to get any easier they got wake forest coming up on thursday and then sunday right cleveland state cleveland comes state. to town so uh it's just it's college basketball it gets downhill man once, once it gets going and injuries are a part of the game unfortunately you got to try to to figure it out but certainly and then even when eric Kane's overton comes back you know it was a, a knee thing you know how will how will she be will she be at 100 percent, or will she be battling at 80 percent? you know will she have that explosiveness will she be able to do does she trust it there's a lot of things going on so i think the even when she's back they still got to almost treat it as if she's not back and I, 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 it's kind of weird to say but i'm just thinking because you know, now there's a chance she comes back. She's just picked up right where she left off. I mean, the effort's always going to be there. You know she'll want to. Oh, that's, and effort's going to the be there. That's the danger of it with her is that you don't want her to come back and overexert herself because she wants to be 100% because she is that competitor, and that can be dangerous. Yeah, I agree. And I think some of it could be very easy to be like, man, we've tried to figure it out. Now she's back. Okay, boom. Give it to her and get out of the way. And that could go a couple of ways. That could go she's exactly how she was before she got hurt. And it could be, well, she wants to be and not, or she's just doing the best she can at 80 85% to try to be out there for her teammates. So that that being said, there's still basketball to be played without her. This is all still sort of a growing experience. This is game four, I think, without Erica Haynes Overton, right? Or she five. played four, and, yeah, we played four since. So this is yeah, four. Yeah, so that was game four. So now game five's coming up. You got Wake, you got Cleveland State at home opportunity right thursday against a, a, a acc squad then you typically get bottom of the conference acc squad but the acc is so strong where that's yeah. going to be a difficult task yeah absolutely so i i think it I, I think it's good to see i think the encouraging thing is there's certain parts of the game growing the six assists for upton i think the rebounding was good to see free throws clearly is good harvey hitting a couple of shots kimbro near double double you can start to see things going the right direction can they put them all together i think that's the that's the thing you know they're they're not getting everything at the same time and without eric haynes overton is it going to have to be four or five people at the same time getting it all together or can they two or three have a good night and one or two not i think that's what we'll have to wait and see. well i think stafford's now double digits her last three she's really starting to find herself offensively which is good i thought the frustrating part about this game and this is kind of the um, this is what you always get into when you do fall behind so big so early. You run into a situation where you probably have a burst, right? Every good basketball team has a burst. that They're going to be able to make a run, get back in a game. It's how long can you sustain it? And with nine healthy bodies, always behind the eight ball or ETSU in that respect. But you get it to 30-23 to 23 after an Amaya Adams layup and a timeout for Davidson. This is with 320 to go in the second quarter. So you've cut the gap to seven, and it's right in that time of the game where you've got an extended break coming up with halftime and momentum can really flow one way or another. So how long were ETSU going to be able to sustain that run that they went on after falling behind 14 to nothing? And the answer was the timeout was at the perfect time for Davidson because they go on a 7 nothing run and open it back up to 14 right where they were when it was 14 to nothing. So it was essentially like they were just able to erase in the span of about 90 seconds all of ETSU's good work over that middle portion of the first half and they stretch it back out to 14 and from there ETSU really um, while they battled you know and they kept it right around 10 12 for uh, the next seven or eight minutes of game time then Davidson was able to open it up and get it to nearly 20 at the middle of the third quarter and uh, they were able to stretch it out to 20 once the fourth quarter came around and ETSU closed the game strong it was good to see that they're still fighting right to the last buzzer and they get it to 15 but that second quarter and, and you even see it on the men's side like we just talked about when you fall behind, like if you're one of ETSU men's basketball's opponents lately, you fall behind and you make a run. How much can you get done in that run? How long can you sustain it? And you're always going to run out of gas and run out of steam at some point, right? And for usually if you're talking about you know a solid basketball team, you're going to be able to make up, say, an eight, nine-point deficit and maybe even pull yourself into the lead. But if you're matched up with a team like, say, an ETSU against Arkansas Little Rock or for the women's basketball side, a good team like Davidson projected fifth in the 14-team Atlantic 10, then it's always going to be difficult to sustain it long enough if you've fallen behind by double digits 
to come out ahead. And for the Bucks, they got it to seven, but were never never able to get it closer than that uh, after it was 30-23. to 23. So it was kind of there in the second quarter, and once Davidson stretched it back out, it had to be just a real gut punch for the Bucks. And when they went to halftime, and you're down double digits, and it seems like you've outplayed Davidson for a, a big portion of that first half, um, you have to sit there and wonder, okay, how is this going to happen, right? How are we going to get this done since we exerted so much energy to get back into the game and at halftime, it's still an 11-point game. I give the Bucks credit for fighting. It was just going to be a difficult task once you fell behind 14 and nothing. Well, and the, the next opponent, Wake Forest, you know, you, you can't fall behind in that. I will say this, UNCG, who right now I think is 5-2, and, and granted nobody's played a conference game. They said top of standings, but nobody's played a conference game. Right. They were able to play – uh, Wake Forest on the road and pick up a win, 67-65. UNCG right on par with ETSU last year. Right? I think they split the season series. So similar maybe team situation going in this. Now, again, Hurricanes Overton there. But for the for the most part, that, that and you mentioned it, that could be a game where maybe it, it all comes together. And what would that do if ETSU was able to pick up that win and just sort of maybe a light bulb goes off as a team? Because I don't think it's individuals. I think it's them as a team sort of figuring out and coming together. Well, to me, if UNCG and ETSU play tomorrow with or without Erica Haynes Overton, I feel good about the Bucks' chances. So that's a very encouraging sign going into Thursday. Yeah, and then, of course, again, Sunday. We'll, we'll uh, Wednesday, we'll have a little preview. We'll preview that Wake Forest game, uh, amongst other things. And then, of course, maybe over the weekend we'll have an opportunity uh, to talk about some things. Uh, we'll work on a Friday show. I don't know, but I've got nothing to do in a seven-degree weather at Fargo. How many days so. or hours are you going to be in Fargo? Technically, we get there Thursday at like five forty-five. There, so six forty-five Eastern. That's an eight o'clock Eastern time tip too on Saturday night. Oh, so yeah. You're talking and, well and, over forty-eight hours. Well, yeah, we fly. We won't land in the Tri Cities till after two flights. I think it's four thirty Sunday. Ooh, so you're looking pretty much all Thursday to Friday, Friday, almost three days. Oh, well, eh, not three, because I guess we fly in the morning. So, yeah, it'd be f- over 48 hours. I think on Friday, you go ahead and uh, talk with your boy Keith Brake, you know, get a little breakdown of the game. Yeah. Breakdown. Yeah. I gotta make, I th- I'm assuming. B-R-A-K. I'm assuming he's not going to go with women's basketball since uh, he hosts the pregame show and the Bison will host a FCS playoff game, which we're going to talk about next. Yeah, well, we'll talk about the game to come on Wednesday, but we got some recapping to do, no question, about the FCS playoffs. All right, we'll step aside for a timeout. When we come back, we'll recap the FCS playoffs, and I'll tell you all the picks I got right, and uh, we won't talk about the others right after this timeout. Sam Osaki, come back in here, Sports Network. Life is all about perfect pairings. Sweet and salty, naughty and nice, hot and cold. Well, add instant and jackpot to the list because that's what you'll get when you add Quick Cash to your next Tennessee Cash play. Quick Cash is a simple way to turn one game into two. With Quick Cash, you'll have a chance to win up to $500 instantly right there at the register. Plus, you'll still have a chance to win the Tennessee Cash drawing later. Get the best of both worlds and get twice the fun. It's Quick Cash with Tennessee Cash, only from the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. over is it over i'm checking is it over stop all right nichols north dakota all right fcs You're jumping playoffs. right in go I'm jumping go. in nichols 24 north dakota six the colonels outgain north dakota 316 to 44 on the ground and they outpossess the fighting hawks by nearly 10 minutes chase 4k for nichols a national watch list member at the fcs level for postseason awards didn't put up huge numbers but very efficient 14 of 16, 165 and a score. Julian Gums, 16 carries 172 on the ground and we missed out on a chance to see ndsu north dakota Sad. Though maybe that's okay because it was 38-7 to last time they played on September 7th. Nichols, victorious, on to face the Bison. Well, that was a, I was wrong on that. I thought, <laughs> uh, just, 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 can I open with that? I no, really sure, thought, absolutely. Anytime really you want to admit North Dakota was going to not just play well in that game. I thought they were going to win. But Nichols did a nice job of uh, really kind of stopping the Hawks from scoring. 
because you look at some of the offensive numbers and North Dakota was able it seemed like to get from their 25 to about the 30 and then from there a lot of empty empty possessions some turnovers some not a, just not able to put points on the board two field goals and to have you know nearly 300 yards passing I mean, you just feel like you'd be able to put something on the board, and, and they didn't. So, Nichols, who has – it seems like every time I want to pick Nichols, they get beaten every time I go against them in there. So, I don't know. That sounds maybe, like your luck, yeah. Yeah. So, maybe if I go North Dakota State, we'll have the upset. Illinois State 24, SEMO 6, 13 versus 12. And I expressed some skepticism about how Illinois State wins with the strong defense, not scoring a ton. Will it work in the playoffs? Strong running game. Well, they did what they do, and they executed that plan to perfection once again with their season on the line. 297 on the ground for James Robinson. Old Jimmy. He jumps to number two in the nation in rushing with that incredible performance. Redbirds hold Simo to six points, 316 yards, pick off two passes. The number five ranked defense in the country delivers the knockout blow to Southeast Missouri State. 297. 297. 41. 255 was great for Quay Holmes. Imagine 42 more on top of that. I mean, in the playoffs, no doubt. I mean, he needed 15 more carries. To no, get the extra true. 40 yards. That's I mean, if we're, uh, so you're saying Quay Holmes would have run for I'd like 500. Just, uh, yeah, 1,000 okay. a, a maybe. Clearly. But, yeah, James Robinson just had himself a day. I think he only threw for like 50 yards. Uh, they were 52 or something. But, yeah, the Redbirds go in there and did exactly what they should do defensively, able to make plays, able to go. So, uh, Illinois State with the with the win. And I, it wasn't – I don't want, I don't think it was shocking uh, that they won. I think the 297 on the ground was shocking. But other than that uh, – Illinois State, I thought that game would be nip and tuck. It ended up being. What did you say Southeast Missouri State is who we thought they were? Yeah, I would agree. UNI 17, San Diego 3, another war of attrition. Northern Iowa and San Diego. No offensive touchdowns in this one until the 254 mark of the fourth quarter. Northern Iowa gets an interception return for a touchdown on the first drive of the game. And as it turned out, that's all they would need. Just a pair of field goals exchanged after that until Trevor Allen crossed the goal line inside three minutes from the whistle on a seven-yard run to ice the game. Just 481 combined offensive yards between the two sides. So I'd say Nichols and North Dakota plus Illinois State and SEMO kind of look like offensive explosions compared to that game. Yeah, and San Diego, I mean, they're the Pioneer League. They don't have scholarships. It's, uh, they, it's just kind of what they do. That now They hung in tough, give them credit, and that's what they've been doing. They've been, you know, they pretty much win the league every year. They get in the playoffs. I don't think they have a playoff win yet, but that's what they do. They hang around, hang around, and eventually usually depth and stuff at the, the end of the game – uh, certainly not a good start with the INT return. But, I mean, going in the fourth quarter, just a 7-3 game, got to feel pretty good if you're San Diego. I got to feel pretty good about our pick on Monmouth and Holy Cross. We were very confident in Monmouth, feeling pretty good about that coming out of this game, no doubt about it. Uh, the first 23 for Monmouth, including a 68-yard touchdown from Pete Guerrero. Ho-hum, another 220 on the ground for him. Now 1,888 yards, the only person that's rushed for more yards at the FCS level this year than James Robinson. 44-27, to Monmouth in a runaway. And that was expected. I, I mean, they almost had 500 yards of total offense or something crazy. So, I, to me, that was expected. Uh, Monmouth, Holy Cross, sort of a, a Cinderella story to get there, to win some tiebreakers, to win the league. But, to me, Monmouth was just going to be too strong, and, and they were. Sella, 45, Villanova, 44. This is where we really get into the meat of the FCS playoffs from this past weekend because we had some very strong takes, I'd say, on these next four matchups. And firstly, it was Southeast Louisiana and Villanova. I said this one would be exactly. I pointed out the score, 55-52. to I think a brilliant take. Pretty darn close. You'd say Villanova would win. You did, that is. And uh, you were wrong. Terrible take per the usual. Though you did say, and I'll say this in your defense, Quote, having done this for the last 20 or so years, Villanova puts up big points in the regular season but can't in the playoffs. So simultaneously you are smart and stupid at the same time. Well, and they got hosed. Uh, so there were like eight touchdowns in the last – no, there was, sorry, there was five touchdowns in the last like eight, nine minutes. I mean, it was just back and forth. And end uh, uh, of the third quarter was a touchdown. Uh, and then they go back and forth. And it was 35-35, I think, Sela, uh, as you call them. Sella. Uh, Sella, as you call him, uh, was able to convert two fourth downs to tie it up at 35. Right down the field, Villanova goes, scores, misses the extra point. It's partially deflected. It misses. Again, Sella decides with three minutes, four minutes to go in a game to go for it on fourth and six from the 10-yard line, throw a touchdown pass. Yeah. Extra point was blocked, but it goes right over the crossbar. Oh. Like It was just a wobbler. Once it got kicked, it barely skimmed over. They take a one-point lead. Nova, with about a minute to go, 
throws a 50-yard touchdown pass called back on offensive pass interference. A guy makes a one-handed grab. Watching it live, it was one of those where it was like, ah, maybe he pushed off, then they showed the replay, and really honestly didn't look like he did. Um, mm. But penalty called. They went for it on fourth. Eventually didn't get it. And uh, so it takes a couple knees, and boy, the Villanova coach is hot. Hot. I mean, I thought he, he'd got one unsportsmanlike conduct, and pretty much they had to keep cutting away from him from all the curse words going at the officials while the knees were being taken. Wow. And then after the game, chasing him off the field. And to be honest with you, I probably don't blame him. So it was one of those where I hate to say it, but it was typical Villanova. They probably sh- should have won, probably should be better than what they should have been, and uh, ended up being a first-round bounce out. The particulars, the final three touchdowns came between the 636 mark of the fourth quarter and the 256 mark remaining as those points kind of piled up over the last seven minutes. C.J. Turner from Chase on Virgil, the decisive strike to move southeastern Louisiana past Villanova by one after they trailed by six following a Daniel Smith 50-yard touchdown pass that was upheld and was good for points. Uh, Virgil counters Smith's four touchdown passes with 474 yards and three passing TDs of his own. Uh, uh, this one pains me. Kennesaw four, State. I just want to say it again. Yep. He, he threw for 474. Four yep. I don't think he'd thrown for over 300. I think I saw that stat when he had popped it up because when he crossed 300, like, oh, new career high. And then he goes for 474. Big players playing big, big games, I guess. Kennesaw State 28, Wofford 21. Do you want to talk about it? I don't really want to talk about it. Uh, other than – Things were looking good. Uh, other than Kennesaw State's uh, – they've been playing with a sec- second-string quarterback for a while. He gets hurt. The third stringer comes in and runs for 204. Ugh. They know what they do, and they do it pretty well. I'm sorry, well, 206. I, I shorted him two yards. Yeah. Jonathan Murphy, is that your guy? Yeah. Yeah, Jonathan Murphy. my guy. 206 and three touchdowns. Was it was 14 to seven Terriers. Can, can I get a, a, a another what in the world's Josh Conklin doing moment? Because there were plenty of – again, I watch almost all Southern Conference games when season gets going. I go back, I watch it on Mondays and Tuesdays, all the games in the league. I saw a few takes. Is this the Joe Newman spread offense take? Yeah, I don't know what – well, when he went under center and ran a lot of eye formation, I was thrown off. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, oh, they're going to go straight old school, belly option right in the fullback. And then, no. it was Like, I don't know what in the world. It, it was almost like – it wasn't quite watching the first couple games where we were chunking it around. But there were a lot of things. It was like, that doesn't seem like that's what Wofford does. And I don't know because – did he outthink himself because he's thinking, well, Kennesaw State runs the option. We run an option. i got to do different things. But Kennesaw State runs a traditional flex bone, what Paul Johnson at Georgia Tech and Navy and Georgia Southern, you know, what they do with a B-back, two A-backs and or wing-backs, whatever you want to call them. I mean, they were in that style of option where Wofford's been running out of the shotgun. And they did do a few things. But, I mean, it's just – it was baffling, some of the play calling. And I know the, the Terrier faithful and SoCon – who went out of the way to trash talk Kennesaw State, uh, had to eat a lot of crow. Yes. Uh, but a, a lot of people were baffled on what was going on. I was too, so I don't know, Josh Conklin. I, I, it's like you don't want to win and get a job somewhere else. I have no idea what he's doing. It was 14-7 Terriers with 16 minutes left. Murphy goes from one yard, then six minutes later, one yard again, and then the score that put the contest out of reach, 61 yards to defeat the SoCon regular season champions. As we mentioned, 206. Joe Newman started at quarterback. Jimmy Wyrick played some, too. Well, it's only because they needed to throw the ball. Right. And the offense kind of struggled until late. Newman, the offensive player of the year, by the way, I don't think we mentioned that uh, in the Southern Conference on our last show. Wofford, 12 first downs, 2 for 12 on third downs, 282 total yards. Newman, 9 carries and 9 yards. That's not a recipe for success for them. Albany, 42. Central Connecticut State, 14. Outside of the third quarter when Albany outscored the Blue Devils, (coughs) it was was an even game. 14-14, 14-14, take out that third quarter. Yeah, yeah, dislocate your own shoulder, pat yourself on the back. I was just very happy. Under Clifford. That Central Connecticut State was what my they boy. were this year, and you just squashed all over my Cinderella dream. Six touchdown School passes. record. Six for Under Clifford. How is it you discovered Jeff Under Clifford, and then all of a sudden he's setting school records? How is that? I did research on the Great Danes. Two weeks before, and I, I'll be honest with you, I didn't know a lot about them until two weeks before the end of the regular season, and they were – People were talking about them getting an at-large and maybe winning the league, and so just start doing it. And then you start looking at some of the numbers that Under Clifford was putting up. And how do you not pull for a guy named Jeff Under Clifford, first of all? But after you start looking at some of the numbers he was putting up, you know, it's not uh, quite maybe what Reese Udinsky touchdown-interception ratio, but the the pure volume, and they they run the ball too. It's not quite the, the spread, but 304 yards, six touchdowns. I mean, Albany can make a little noise. That's all I'm going to say. Central Connecticut State, season over. I will miss them. 11 wins, a school record, perfect 7-0 in the terrible 
Northeastern Conference. Austin P, 42. Furman, I have, six. Every time I tried to tune into the game, it was in a, a lightning delay. There were two different lightning delays. So you're blaming the lightning. I just didn't get to see it. Other than – and I, uh, so when I finally tuned in, uh, they had gone to the first lightning delay. I saw one play. They went to the lightning delay in the first half, in the second quarter. And then at the end of the, the ETSU game, basketball, went to – because it was still going. I went to click back on it, and they were in the middle of the second. So I just gave up on it. And also probably because too, I saw apparently. the score. Well, I saw the score at that point because the third quarter was not in a delay, and 28 points in the third quarter did him in. And shocked. I'm not shocked Austin P won. Shocked by the pure boat race that it was. Well, you remember, I wasn't confident in either Southern Conference team going into the weekend, and you did say, I believe, Furman would win in a tight game. This ended up not being that, obviously. Darren Granger... It was just a bias by me. Darren Granger looked so good earlier in the year, but he had a really, really bad second half of the season you look at some of his stats starting after that Sanford game it got really ugly for him I'm still kind of curious if ETSU didn't lay a blueprint because it was only one game after ETSU that he had a monster game Uh -uh, but either way all right moving on yeah so he and Hamp Sisson alternated at quarterback Javon Craig 18 to 23 264 and three touchdowns it was 7-3 at halftime but as you said another 28 point third quarter just like in the Albany Central Connecticut State game ended up being the difference okay here's what we got this weekend yep NDSU and Nichols, Central Arkansas and Illinois State, JMU and Monmouth, South Dakota State and UNI, and that's at the top of the bracket. Then at the bottom of the bracket, number four, Sacramento State and Austin P. number five, Montana State and Albany, number three, Weaver State and Kennesaw State, and number six, Montana versus my guys from Sola. And we can talk about that either Wednesday, Friday, Friday whatever you want. We'll try to do it Friday. Okay. All right, that'll do it. More takes. Good show. Certainly more takes hoops, will be coming. Hoops, FCS playoffs. Am I going to continue to doubt... Austin P and the Governors, simply because ETSU beat them 20-14. to 14. It's just crazy to think they're in the second round of the playoffs now in the box. That was their first ever win, by the way, FCS playoffs. First ever win. First ever win, wow. Mm-hmm. So they're on, a, they're on a run, and I don't know why we can't just flip the results and have ETSU be the team in the playoffs and have them be in are, 2014 then and go to the second round. Are you going to be ready? Why are can't you, we do that? Are you going to be ready for the Great Danes to outrun the Bobcats? The Great Danes to outrun the Bobcats. Yeah. yeah. I, I feel like Great Danes are slower than Bobcats, though. Probably. I'm probably going to pick on Mascot this week, just so you know. No, there you go. Yeah. That seems like a quality except, except, way. Except for the Bison. Or the Bison are big enough. I guess you're picking against anything. The Bison are just going to sit on yeah, there. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. All right, Santo Sidekick. Buccaneer. Of course, that works. See ya.